first, I got to put on the microphone. Here's the microphone. That probably sounds a little better, doesn't it? Didn't have the mic on here. But anyways, welcome to the John Riley Project, broadcasting from the city and the country, Poway, California. This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we got a great uh, show in store for you today. We're going to talk a bit a bit about Reddit and uh, the controversy with GameStop and Robinhood and all this has been in the news. So I'm going to share my thoughts and comments on that. We're going to get into the Biden executive orders. This was something that I meant to talk about last time, but ran out of time. Got a funny story to tell you about Poway and Twin Peaks. For some of you locals, you'll probably like this story. It's a good one. And uh, if we have time, I might get into you know some of the things that I've been doing to dramatically increase sales leads for some of my clients and to share some techniques, a little education in the marketing world. Happy to share that with you. Uh, but this is a live stream. That means you are welcome to participate. I see Pete kneeled there with the post. There you go. Yeah, thanks, Pete. I should have just, I forgot to pull the microphone closer to me. Um, but anyways, it's it's Friday. I'm going to give myself a break, but yeah, it's a, it's a live stream. So we welcome your comments and questions on YouTube, on Facebook live, uh, make this a little bit of a conversation here. So if you leave your comments and questions in the, in the comment area, I'll read them on the air. We'll have a discussion just like you were here as a guest in my podcast studio. But um, yeah, before we get into it, I, I just really want to you know, make a request if I could for those of you that are listening and watching. Watching, and if you really want to help us out, if you really want to help us grow the audience, the best thing you can do is is share this episode, share the podcast, because that's really how we grow. It, it grows from word of mouth, and and anything you can do to you know to like the episode, you know, even if you're watching now on YouTube or Facebook, you know, click on a, a thumbs up, give it a like. Um, if you can, you know, share the podcast episode, whether you're sharing it, you know, the old fashioned way, verbally telling someone about it, or even click on the share button in social media. That's really helpful for us to grow the audience. That's how people are going to find out more about what we're doing here. And, um, but if you want to go a step further, subscribe, then you'll get updates when we actually have uh, new episodes. You can subscribe on YouTube to all of our podcast episodes and as well as on any of the podcast platforms, um, iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify, you can subscribe there as well. And then if you really want to be extremely kind, you really want to help us out, though, another great thing you could do is go on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, um, a five-star review if you think we deserve it. Boy, that would be really helpful. So I just want to put that at the top of the podcast, just my plea for your support. Um, but yeah, you know, we're on YouTube. We're on, on all the popular podcast platforms. In fact, big news, we're now on Pandora. Uh, that's a recent event that um, just happened probably in the past week. So excited. Exciting stuff going on here in the podcast studio um, with the John Riley Project. So let's get into our game plan for today. Let's just um, take a look here. We've got about eight people watching the live stream. Thanks a lot. Okay, we're, let's talk a little bit about this Reddit, GameStop, Robinhood deal. And I'm going to go into a little bit of it. I, I know there's people that know a ton about this particular topic, especially if they're day traders or they work in the world of finance. But I, know I have a couple of interesting angles to this story that I thought I'd share. But for those of you that aren't up to speed or maybe haven't followed, I'm going to try to give the thumbnail update of what I believe this is. I mean, it's obvious that 
in the market, there are certain stocks that are out there that are of low value stocks that a lot of these hedge fund guys are shorting. They're basically betting that the stock is going to drop in price. And they there's a lot of old school stocks that are in play, old school, you know, businesses that were hot at one time that have now cooled off. Businesses like GameStop, you know, a retail store for uh, for games, for computers and for mobile devices. But even like AMC and Blockbuster, I didn't even know Blockbuster, they were still trading the stock. But people have been manipulating the market or really essentially playing the market. Um, in this case, the hedge fund guys are trying to predict that it's going to drop and they're betting that it's going to drop. But in one of the Reddit forums, and Reddit is kind of a wild, wild west of, uh, of online chat forums and social media, there's a bunch of Reddit users that got together and they decided to kind of do a mass swarm and kind of fight back against the hedge funds. And you can imagine all these Reddit guys, they're probably a lot of them are gamers themselves and they, they have a soft spot in their heart for GameStop. And they went in together and they just sort of mass bought the stock. And instead of you know, fulfilling the hedge funds promise or their bet that it was going to go down in price, they started buying it like crazy um, and shooting the price up, uh, which was to their benefit. They're able to kind of manipulate the market and, and find ways to get increased value. But on the other side, on the flip side, the hedge funds were just getting royally stung. And I'm not going to go into the detail, but but essentially these hedge funds, the way this cyclical pattern works, I mean, they could be out huge amounts of money. The last update I saw was $5 billion these hedge funds had lost because of these computer nerds you know, in their mom's basement that have essentially organized themselves into this effort. And it's just been very, very interesting. Um, you're seeing a lot of comments on social media. People are saying, hold the line. you know, Don't sell the stock. Keep buying the stock. Keep moving the price up. But more importantly, they want to really stick it to a lot of the Wall Street investors and that seems to be a big part of the motivation, not so much the upside benefit they're going to get, but, you know, really sticking it to a lot of these three piece suits in, in, in uh, the, the southern part of Manhattan. And now there's a company that's come up um, on the radar, Robinhood, which is a, a clever name. But Robinhood is a trading company, a brokerage, you know, probably not a lot different than E-Trade or TD Ameritrade, but they really cater to the small-time guy, the retail investor. They may they have really low fees. To In fact, I might, might even be free. I'm not exactly sure, but they're extraordinarily low fees. So individual investors can buy and sell just like onesie twosie small amounts of stock you know just if someone just wants to you know put their toe in the water and play in the market they can and do it very inexpensively um, but what happened is is as this as these stocks like GameStop and others were shooting through the roof, what ended up happening is um, Robinhood stopped giving users the ability to buy more stock. And that sent ripples throughout the uh, social media world. People were furious because Robinhood is really intended, at least the way they position themselves as the stock brokerage for the little guy, you know, and people thought, well, now they're halting the buying of GameStop. You know, essentially trying to protect the big uh, Wall Street traders, the hedge fund guys. And they thought that Robinhood, in many ways, was kind of a farce. They weren't living up to their mission as an organization to really be the stock brokerage for the little guy. But what you're what I'm ended up learning more and more about this is that 
uh, Robinhood in many ways was having to follow a lot of SEC regulations. And that's part of the reason that they suspended uh, buys on those particular stocks. But, you know, of course, a lot of those SEC regulations exist to protect the big investors, to protect um, Wall Street in many different ways. And Ash chimed in. I shared to WSB for you. So thanks, Ash. Thanks for the share. Um, But it's just kind of cool how the little guys, you know, have swarmed, you know, and and they've cracked the code. They've been able to figure out a way to come after Wall Street and do it in an innovative way. And it's kind of tongue in cheek the way they're picking on some of these stocks like GameStop that really sort of appealed to a lot of, you know, your your stereotypical Reddit user, which is kind of clever. But the other angle to this, which is interesting to me, is a lot of this is sort of motivated by a sort of sense of nihilism, isn't it? It's like it's some of these folks, I mean, they're in it certainly to make a couple of bucks to do it, but they just want to see just – Destruction. <laughs> they just want to see, you know, roadkill. They want to see, uh, you know, guys on Wall Street just taking it on the chin. There's, there's a lot of that. I don't know what it is. Is it envy? Is it? Um, um, it's an interesting motivation that is fueling part of this. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's, it is interesting because to me, it, this is a huge victory for the little guy. It's a huge victory to get over on a lot of these big corporations, these hedge funds that really benefit from the regulatory code. Because in many ways, the regulatory code is set up, you know, the, the, I guess it's in many ways, this is a bit of a ruse because People think that the regulatory um, code is to protect the little guy, but in fact, what it does is it protects big corporations. So it's wonderful, I think, to see the little guy fighting back. And, and but now we're seeing a little bit of pressure coming from that, and so it, it's just remarkable because I'm going to go a little bit political here with it. But you know, for how many? How long has the income tax, uh, the federal income tax has existed since 1913? And it's been, you know, a progressive income tax. It's been an effort to really tax the rich to try to minimize or offset this idea of income inequality, of wealth inequality. That's been part of the motivation to have this sort of redistributive effort. But if you ever notice is that the um, the gap between the rich and the poor keeps expanding. In a lot of ways, it expands because the game is rigged in many Many ways the game is rigged to protect the wealth at the top and to essentially trap people in poverty. I mean, we can break that down in a lot of different ways, but it's interesting how over a hundred years they've been trying this progressive tax code to try to minimize this income or wealth gap with very little success. And now here comes this this group of Reddit users that have been able to crack the code and they have been able to have more impact on narrowing the wealth gap in a matter of weeks than the progressive tax code has taken over a hundred years. So it's just, it's interesting how when the market is free, when people are able to act freely, in many ways, the the marketplace has a, a sort of evening out to a degree. You unleash the people at the bottom to be competitive and you unlock the rigging at the top that protects the people at the top. So 
so many times you hear people say, well, we need more regulations, more regulatory code. But in fact, if you want to empower the little guy, the opposite is true. You need to open up the free market so you can empower, in this case, these Reddit users, these Robinhood people. Um, now, granted, Robinhood has shut down. I don't know. Some people are arguing a Robin is really in the bed, in bed with a lot of these hedge funds and a lot of the big brokerage firms. But if you can, if we can unregulate the market. I think in many ways you're going to empower the little guy and like I said, unrig it so the people at the top don't have this wall around them that protects them from these scrappy little investors um, that want to compete and play in their sandbox. So it's just very interesting to me. But now who speaks up from this? Again, we'll get a little bit political is our good friend, Elizabeth Warren. And of course, I did a whole podcast about Elizabeth Warren when she was running for president. And she was my least favorite candidate of all of them because she is the one that wants to get in there and continue rigging the system and manipulating the system rather than letting the system be free. And so she came out with this letter that uh, she wrote to the chair of the SEC, uh, the Security and Exchange Commission, and the tweet I have it right here. In her tweet, she says, casino-like swings in stock prices of GameStop reflect wild levels of speculation that don't help GameStop's workers or customers and could lead to market instability. Today, I told the SEC to explain what exactly it's doing to prevent market manipulation. So here's Elizabeth Warren, the champion, so-called, of the champion of the little guy, now intervening here, trying to ask what the hell is going on? Why are these little guys creating more market volatility? And frankly, if you want to, if you want to overcome or, or, you know, if you want to stop the manipulation of the market, I mean, one way to do it is to make it free. But the other way to do it is just to end the Federal Reserve. I mean, that's where you're going to see a lot of manipulation of the market, manipulation of money, manipulation of the economy. Um, but, you know, that's an untouchable third rail. You know, the congressmen and senators won't even audit the darn Fed, uh, which is something that they should be doing. So at any rate, uh, yeah, so Elizabeth Warren wrote her letter to the SEC. And I'm just thinking, what a crock. And this is like someone that's supposed to be, you know, again, fighting against the corporate, um, you know, the big money, the big business. And yet now when little guys have figured out a way to crack the code, suddenly Elizabeth Warren is concerned. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So uh, that's I mean, there's way more to this story. I, I know people have been following it in way more detail than me, but I just wanted to give my take on it. Um, in, in, in so many ways, you see the two-facedness of our political leaders, and it shines through again. Okay, so, uh, wow, we got a lot of viewers, a lot of listeners, and thanks for uh, joining us here on the John Riley Project. And um, got a comment here. Someone's asking me to play the Tendiaman song written for GameStop. GameStop stock, I don't even know what that is. But thanks for commenting here on the live stream. Uh, let's get into a little bit about the Biden EOs. And, uh, you know, there's been a ton of executive orders that have come from Joe Biden. And it's been very interesting. Um, it's sort of good news, bad news. And the good, the well, let's, let's start with the bad news. The bad news with a lot of these executive orders is that executive orders are a terrible way to govern. Um, executive orders are essentially the um, 
executive orders are essentially the president acting like a dictator, where the president, you know, as Obama said, with a pen and a phone, can enact policy without Congress. They can just unilaterally make decisions. It's a combination of the legislative and executive branch into one. So in many ways, executive orders are just a terrible way to govern. And um, and we saw that with Trump. That, Trump generally governed through executive orders. And it was a, a lot of this was a sham because executive orders are so easy to flip the other way the minute the next president comes into office. And that's a lot of what Biden has been doing, has been unwinding a lot of Trump Trump's EOs, which I think is a good thing. Um, but the whole notion of executive orders really is a violation of this whole idea of uh, three co-equal branches of government, uh, the checks and balances, and, you know, kind of like our schoolhouse rock, I'm just a bill. And, uh, you know, going through the process, executive orders circumvent the whole thing. So I'm generally not a fan of executive orders, but when Biden is in, in implementing executive orders to undo Trump executive orders, then it kind of washes out and it's not so bad. But I think for a lot of people, this has been a opportunity for um, Biden, you know, and the Democrats to show that he's taking action. You know, he's stepping up to the plate. It's like that whole notion of on day one, when I'm elected president, I'm going to do this and that. I remember hearing that all the time in the primaries and thinking, man, on day one, you need to be working with Congress to implement legislation that can't be just flipped every four years because of a new president in office. You know, if you really want to enact policy, you need to go through the process and then it has legs and it stands for a long period of time. Um, But let's just go through a few of these. these executive orders. And I think there's some good ones and some bad ones. And I'll just highlight just a couple of thoughts on it. And one of them was, um, you know, he Biden is bringing us back into the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Um, I, I think it's a good idea. And, you know, for many ways, the, the that climate accord, the Paris Climate Accord is not really binding policy. I mean, it's more guidelines. So it's not necessarily an attack on American sovereignty, but it is a sort of coordination amongst different nations to fight climate change. I think that makes sense. Um, And in many ways, America is already exceeding or doing better than the initial benchmarks that they were that were being discussed. So I think this is a good opportunity to cooperate with others and find ways to, you know, to, you know, save the planet, save the world. I'm a, you know, a big proponent of um, environmentalism. You know, we have two electric vehicles and solar panels and we do all kinds of water conservation on our property. And so I'm, you know, generally aligned um, with the notion of, you know, let's clean it up. And so the fact that um, he's joining the uh, the Paris uh, Agreement, I think that's a good thing. Um couple other things. Um, executive order revising immigration enforcement policies. And this is a good thing, too. Uh, there were a whole slew of Trump actions to, you know, to essentially um, make immigration more difficult, not just illegal immigration more difficult, but even legal immigration. I mean, Bush, I mean, excuse me, Trump had um, travel bans and and he also was revoking visas and, and essentially preventing legal immigration. But of course, with illegal immigration, there were you know, children in cages separated from their parents at the border. There's border walls and everything. And so Biden is loosening up a lot of that, which I think is a really good thing. I mean, because you know, I talk about this podcast. It's about our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know what? That's not just for Americans. Those immigrants have rights of life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. And I think that's a fantastic thing. So we should be embracing immigration. We should be making immigration, legal immigration, faster, easier, cheaper. And what Biden's doing, I think, is good. I mean, he's unwinding some of this these draconian policies from Trump. He's had another executive order to include immigrants in the census. That makes sense to me, too. I mean, we can get accurate counts. We can deal with reality um, about the population here in the United States. Um, there's an executive order to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. This is one I have mixed feelings on. I think it's, it's a great thing um, to you know, to fight against climate change. But at the same time, I think we need to be taking advantage of all sources of power and gradually wean ourselves off of oil. But oil, like it or not, is still a big part of our energy sources here in America. In many ways, we are now largely energy independent, you know, because we create more energy than we import. Um, That's a positive, uh, that's a positive notion. But one of the challenges, of course, with the XL pipeline is that it is largely built on eminent domain, eminent domain that essentially seizes people's property against their will and offers them a token amount of money for it. So, again, I'm sort of a mixed feeling on, on that particular item. We're getting a whole stream of comments here on the live stream, uh, mostly talking a lot about, um, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, Reddit GameStop, uh, Robinhood. M.R. Um, Dickinson said, it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. It's not so much that the, the, these, these Reddit users are, are necessarily trying to make a lot of money, and, but some of them have. But it's more about sticking it to the man, sticking it to Wall Street, sending a message to Wall Street. And people feel good about that. Um, M.R. Dickinson goes on to say, 2008, a lot of people lost homes and committed suicides. Um, Absolutely true. And, you know, the 2008 um, economic, uh, you know, disaster, the the Great Recession, as it were, you look at that, that that, it was it was the way that was handled was terrible because leading up to it. You know, people say, oh, George Bush deregulated the economy and that's why we had this problem. But regulations in the financial industry were increasing going into the 2008 crisis. Um, we saw lots of new regulatory codes, Sarbanes-Oxley and, and Graham-Leach and, and the Patriot Act was another one of them that all had impact, all added regulatory burden onto the financial industry uh, with banking and securities. So... Don't believe the lie that it was based on deregulation. The financial industry is probably the most regulated industry in the United States. But the regulations are set up not to protect people and make the system fair. The regulations are set up as a way to rig the system for the three-piece suits on Wall Street. And so, of course, when we went into the Great Recession, what happened? There was a massive bailout. Was it the Republicans that did the bailout? No. Was it the Democrats that did the bailout? No. It was a bipartisan. The two of them together got together. It was the TARP bill went through Congress and Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House. They had a Democratic majority. The Democrats approved TARP, the bailout of um, Wall Street and banking, and in some cases, large corporations like automobile companies. And... um, 
And and the Republicans, obviously, the Republicans, I think, had the Senate then and George Bush was president. So definitely a bipartisan bill. They got bailed out. Did you get bailed out? <laughs> Did I get bailed out? We didn't get bailed out. We suffered. A lot of people lost their homes. That was a brutal time. And I know for my business, you know, I suffered greatly. I, I got a big punch in the nose because. A lot of I, you know, I own a marketing agency. A lot of my clients sell products and services to homeowners. You know, they sell window coverings and um, decking and uh, and and kitchen and bathroom models. Or a lot of my clients do that kind of work. And when that economic recession happened. I got smoked and my business really suffered and it took a long time for me to crawl back and, you know, get my business right sized. I didn't give up. I didn't file bankruptcy. I didn't push the burden on other people. I fought through it and it was hard, hard as hell. But a lot of other people didn't have the ability to fight back, didn't have the means to fight back. And they went down with the ship and they suffered while these, these guys that, you know, have these mansions on Long Island in the Hamptons, they were the ones that got bailed out. And you know who bailed them out? Taxpayers. (laughs) Those of us, we're all paying taxes. Our money went to them to line their pockets while we were the ones suffering. So yeah, I mean, MR Dickinson, I'm a hundred percent agreement with you. This is, um, you know, this is a lot about sending a message. Um, these are the same people that are bleeding out of their anuses now. A lot of propaganda in the media. So, um, and Matthew Brannigan chiming in. Good to see lots of new folks watching today. Yeah, right on. And I appreciate that. We've got a nice little audience going. Um, the expiration day, for, again, MR Dickinson kind of flooding my, my stream, which I love. Thank you. Um, the expiration day for those stocks are today, but they, they have until Tuesday to cover and buy them back at 300 plus dollars. Okay. This is more of the detail that I'm not really following at that level of, you know, that level of minutia. But I love what's happening. I love seeing the little guy fighting back. I love seeing the little guy cracking the code. And what I see from our politicians and regulators is no surprise because what they end up doing is, you know, manipulating the system to once again insulate the big guys at the top. And that's what that's what Elizabeth Warren is doing. Um, so anyways, going back to these Biden EOs, we'll kind of cruise through a few more of these. Um Biden has an executive order banning the discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. And that's mostly for federal jobs, federal contractors. And, yeah, that's a that's a solid move moving forward. Um, Proclamation of pulling funds from the border wall. Yeah, the border wall is the biggest crock. Um, The border wall is a symbol of division. I mean, by definition, right? The border wall is fundamentally the opposite of the Statue of Liberty. Give us your poor and huddled masses. The border wall is a fundamental violation of our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So these people, they want to come to America. They want to pursue their happiness. They want to have the liberty to pursue the American dream. That's why you see so many entrepreneurs. A lot of them are immigrants because they get it. They understand what makes America great. Truly, truly great. Not the notion of what we were seeing on the red hats. So the border wall is a crock. And I'm happy to see that that is the funding is going to stop. And frankly, they should tear down the border wall, the new at least at minimum, the new portions of it, because it's a symbol of division. It's a symbol that is in direct opposition 
to the founding values of this nation. You know, this notion that all men, all humans are created equal and they were all equal under the law. Um, so love seeing that pulling the funds from the border wall. And then, again, there's been a lot of immigration stuff that he implemented that I think is great. Um, a memorandum strengthening the deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's the, the DACA program. And if I recall, this is the case where um, children of illegal immigrants came to America when they were, you know, four or five years old. And this doesn't penalize them. It doesn't deport them. It allows them to remain in America legally as a legal resident, have legal status, and then perhaps in some cases have a pathway to citizenship. Um, You know, I'm again, I'm all for more immigration. Immigration makes our economy better. Um, immigration is what built America back in the latter part of the 19th century. Immigration, we, you know, back when we had the Industrial Revolution, immigrants from all over the world flocked to the United States to pursue the American dream. Um, and that's partly what made America um, an economic and, and very soon thereafter a military power on the globe because of immigration. So, Every time I see resistance to immigration, this nationalism, I'm thinking, man, you're not paying attention to history here, folks. You know, now, granted, there are issues with immigrants coming over and whether they get on the dole. And I, I get you, I get you there. Um, we need to minimize that. But overall, immigrants are positive for this nation, especially if they are immigrants here on a like a, a student visa. Imagine an immigrant coming from some foreign nation, comes to the United States, studies at one of our top universities, and suddenly now they're a very talented person that can offer great value to companies here in the United States, and Trump revokes the student visa so they have to go back to their original country when we could have kept them in America, which they wanted to be in America. We could have had them here working in the United States, being an entrepreneur, an innovator to make our economy better, to make our society better. But instead, <laughs> they, they, uh, uh, Trump revoked the, the visas and they went back to their native country. And it's, just, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's a policy based on, in many cases, on hate, on bigotry, on nationalism. And, and I, I like seeing Biden overturning a lot of that. Again, lots of people on the stream. Pete Neal says any wall is a separation. Yeah, exactly. That's precisely what a wall does. It's a separator. A separator. Um, gosh, a, a lot of people here chiming in. Mr. Dickinson really wants to stick it to our friends on Wall Street, and I'm with you there in spirit. Um, we need to fight back, but I'll tell you what: what's going to end up happening? I mean, let's be real. The SEC is going to get involved. Elizabeth Warren is going to have a panel in front of Congress, and and they're going to wag the finger at these Wall Street executives. And what's going to happen is the GameStop stock is going to eventually come down. At some point, the bubble will burst, and then the regulations will be increased, and then the Wall Street executives are going to be further insulated. That's why we have to keep fighting against the regulation, against um, rigging the system. And the way you do that is by opening up the marketplace, freeing up the marketplace to allow, you know, a, a, an individual investor to have a fighting chance against a lot of the three-piece suits in New York City. Um, M.R. Dickinson, I made $210,000 in a day and still holding. <laughs> well, if you did, good for you. So hopefully you can you know, cash out on that. But be careful. I mean, if once that bubble pops, it's going to go down fast. So, uh, you know, 
Keep a focus on that. Dennis Page says, how do you stop illegal immigration? The answer is you can't. There will always be illegal immigration. Um, you know, unless you want to build like a DMZ and, and surround you know, the United States. But even if you built walls and had military troops, people still come to America and they fly on airplanes and they fly over the wall and they get here on a visa and the visa expires and they hang around. You can't stop illegal immigration. The right way to do this is to make legal immigration faster, easier, cheaper and document them. And, and then they, they can function not in the shadows of society. They can be, you know, just just like regular folks with regular jobs and and immigrants are going to help our economy grow. They always do. Um, so I don't see a need to stop illegal immigration. M.R. Dickinson says, wait till Tuesday when the shit hits the fan. I'm a millionaire. Um, so lots of people here are excited about what's going on with Reddit and um, the people that are are sticking it to the man. Um, OK, more executive orders from Biden. They're, he's promoting a data driven response to covid-19. And I think that's a good idea. Um, I mean, if, if you're going to respond to covid-19, you got to follow the science. I mean, I, I think we saw the the interview with Deborah Burks, the former what was her title? She was one of the main scientists that was supposed to be involved with managing the crisis, her and and, um, and Fauci. Um, but she was even saying that a lot of her data wasn't even presented. There was fake data or a, or a parallel stream of data that was coming from somewhere within the Trump administration. Um, just makes me wonder how effective is government really in fighting the covid vaccine? It seems like in a lot of ways they made it worse than better. Um, and even here, you could say, well, that's the Republicans, that's Trump, and Trump screwed it up, and, and Trump did screw it up. In the very beginning, they should have been taking action. In the very beginning, they should have been testing people and quarantining the people that had the virus so it could be you know, properly managed. And instead, it wasn't managed in the beginning. The virus got loose. The horses are out of the barn, and now you can't control it. Um, government made it worse. Um, as a result. But now, even now, the, the vaccines are being distributed to all the different states. California is struggling. California is struggling to actually inject the viruses into the people. We, we are dead last of the 50 states. You know, if you rank the states one to 50, California is at the very bottom in terms of the percentage of vaccine doses that have actually been administered. We have more vaccine and on a percentage basis that are still in refrigerators than the percentage of other states. So even California gets into a cluster and can't deliver it properly. Um, so, wow, there's like a whole parallel conversation going on here on the live stream about Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> so um, at any rate, uh, it, Pete Neal says, is ignoring the actual data a screw up? Yeah, that's a screw up. When If you are... In a management or a leadership position, you got to deal with the cold, hard facts. You got to deal with the brutal truth. You got to be connected to reality. And so, if um, if people are ignoring reality, that's absolutely a screw up. And that's what happened uh, for political reasons. You know, Trump didn't want the virus to get in the way of his reelection and hoped it would kind of disappear uh, in April of 2000 or in, in 2020. But it didn't. So Biden's going to have a more data driven policy on, co on COVID. I think that's a good thing. Um, a couple of more executive 
um, orders. Um, the reopening and continuing operation of schools. This is an interesting one because I know here in Poway, you know, we live here in, in, in the suburb of San Diego County, Poway, California, and our school district has been going, you know, on, off, you know, in classroom, online, hybrid. I mean, the rules are constantly changing. Um, and then you're seeing in many cases where teachers unions are demanding that essentially the virus is 100% or, or nearly 100% contained so it's safe enough for them to go back to work. Meanwhile, there are students that, that aren't able to be educated at the level they want, and they also are not able to choose to redirect their taxpayer dollars to other schools, to private schools that want the students, you know, which is the whole voucher thing. Um, so in many cases, the whole education system is being you know, manipulated, distorted. And so um, you know, Biden wants to support the reopening and continuing operations of schools. Okay, I'm with you there. Let's see what the policy is. So there are a number of other ones here. I mean, he had more executive orders in his first week than I think any president of all time. It's been over 20, maybe even 30 of them. Um, an executive order reversing the transgender military band. This is an interesting one. Um, to me, this should be a no-brainer, right? Government should not discriminate. <laughs> Government needs to treat everyone equally under the law. Government should not discriminate against people on the basis of race or on gender or in this case on sexual orientation um, or really transgender, I guess you could make an argument that is another version of gender. How many genders are there now? I think like 61, maybe more. Um, but the federal government shouldn't be banning people from the military service because they're transgender. The The analysis should be, are you fit to serve? Um, are you physically and mentally capable of being a soldier or being um, a sailor or being a Marine or being a pilot? Your aptitude, your skills, your your um, ability should be the reason that you would be accepted or not accepted into the military, not your sexual orientation. Now, granted, is that going to create a little bit of disruption in um, the areas where the troops are sleeping or have quarters? Yeah, but you just got to deal with it. You got to figure out a way to get through it. And I think if our troops understand what America really represents, that all men are created equal, which really is all humans are created equal. We're all equal under the law. We all have the same rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then allowing transgender into the military is totally consistent with that. And that is the kind of freedoms that our troops should be fighting for, because that's what America is really all about. The live stream here is just flying. Lana Mays. Um, lots of comments here. Um, ooh, a lot of stuff that isn't appropriate. I'm not going to read it here. Um, let's move on. What else? Um, an executive order from Joe Biden promoting the Buy American agenda. Actually, I'm going to see here because Lana Mays is essentially spamming this, this, this feed. And I'm going to block the user. That's what I'm going to do right there. Love love the support, folks. Um, but when you start posting, um, you know, borderline pornographic stuff, I mean, we don't need to go there. Come on, friends. Um, so Lana uh, Mays was blocked. And Matthew Brannigan says, thanks. So um, 
I, you know, I love the participation. I love, you know, the, the live stream and it's live and people can chime in and I'm a big free market guy. So I love the, the opinions and the thoughts, but I also know that as a free market guy, I don't have to listen to what I don't want to listen to. And so I can turn people off and I was happy I was able to do that. Okay. Um, Joe Biden, the executive order promoting a buy American agenda. And this is hilarious. This is like America first, right? This is like uh, what, what Trump was talking about. And so now Biden wants to have these orders to buy from American companies rather than, uh, you know, at least for federal contracts, for federal purchases. To me, again, this, this, is, this is more nationalism. And I think this is a stroke to the Bernie folks and the, the union workers that want you know, essentially more restrictive trade policy. In many ways, the Bernie supporters and the MAGA guys, the Trump supporters, this is where they have alignment is on trade and about buy America. So I think this is a, a shout out to them. And in fact, there's a lot of other executive orders by Joe Biden that have been, how should I say, um, sort of um, virtue signals to a lot of these different categories of people. A lot of these collectivist groups um, that were largely supportive of Biden and helped him get elected. And so he's kind of sharing the love back at them. But this is another one of them. And this is this is a shout out to the union workers and this buy American agenda. To me, the federal government should if they have to buy products, they should buy the product that gives them the best overall value that gives us the best bang for the buck, the best quality at the lowest price. They shouldn't necessarily buy from American companies just because they're American. That's how we end up with $400 hammers and and $2,000 toilet seats in the Navy. We get this manipulated system. As taxpayers, I want my tax dollars to be spent as efficiently as possible. So buy America is a silly idea if we're going to try to get the best value for the taxpayer. Now, in some cases, the American company will offer the best value and great. And if it's a tiebreaker between a company in America and a company in in somewhere in Asia and if you need to break the tie, yeah, then buy American. But um, I don't necessarily think it's it's a good idea to prioritize American purchases for, for the government if it's at a lower value and ends up sticking the taxpayers with excessive costs. Um, Pete Neal says, and don't forget that they bailed out car companies and still people are buying Porsches and BMWs. Think Tesla, GM, Ford. Yeah. Now this is another interesting topic. Um, let me, what else do we have anything on the, uh, let's just first, let me comment on Pete's thought here. They did bail out the auto companies, and that was part of the whole 2008 Great Recession. I don't know if that was in the TARP package or if that was in a separate bill. I know Bush did part of the bailout. Obama did another part of the bailout. But if you look at the data, they still haven't paid it all back. Um, they say they've paid it back, but what ended up happening is is that they – whatever I can't remember the dollar figures, but whatever they borrowed and what they were told to pay back was less than that. Um, and, and they paid back that lesser amount. They, the companies did what they were told, but it's still less than what they were bailed out with. So there's a delta. Who absorbs the delta? You do and I do as taxpayers. That's wrong. They should never have bailed out the automobile companies in the first place because people thought that if you bail out the automobile companies, then it's going to be, oh, my God, an American industry is going to go away and we're not going to have um, automobile companies in America. 
Well, that's a farce because if a company goes bankrupt, a lot of times they'll reorganize and, and, and they come up with a new version of themselves. But even if they go completely into the scrap heaps, um, like Studebaker or some of these ancient automobile companies, um, even if they completely die, it's not like the factories die. It's not like all those workers go away. I mean, it's very likely that some other company is going to buy those remaining assets and then turn it into something that's going to create more cars or maybe even do it better. Um, and then meanwhile, we've got all these other innovative companies like Tesla um, that are coming up with electric vehicles. And there's a lot of other companies like Fisker and uh, some of the smaller ones that are doing wonderful innovation in the world of um of electric vehicles. And so we should be encouraging that, that innovation. Um, frankly, that would be a better idea. Um, Bruce McCoy says Ford didn't accept a bailout. Okay. You, you, you may be right there. I know GM did. I know that's for sure. I wasn't sure about Ford. Um, but a lot of those automobile companies, yeah, they, they took a bailout and really who does the bailout really protect? Okay. Think about this. Well, some people think it, it protects the employees, but like I said, the employees, first of all, they're going to get unemployment insurance, okay? And But secondly, the employees, they're going to be rehired by these new companies that reorganize, right? And when these new companies come forward, they rise from the ashes. And there's also all kinds of other opportunity in the marketplace. Those employees, again, if they're willing to move, a lot of the people that lived in the Rust Belt seem to be anchored there. But if they're willing to move, there's all kinds of opportunity elsewhere in America. What the bailouts, who they really helped was the shareholders. The bailouts helped Wall Street. The bailouts helped these guys that the Reddit folks are trying to stick it to because it protected their, their, their assets. It protected their stock value. That is who ultimately benefited from the bailouts. But the politicians spin it as though this is saving jobs, but it's just more corporate welfare. And it was a ridiculous policy. And, but yet, both the Republicans and Democrats do it. In fact, you'll hear people say, Obama saved the auto industry. When people say that, you're saying, well, geez, you're saying that he, he's celebrating corporate welfare. And that's just nonsense. Um, so uh, Pete goes on, you are right there. Tesla took over the, the NUMI joint venture plan up in the Bay Area. Yeah, I think that was the one in Fremont. Um, I think that was Toyota for a while. And I know it's changed hands a few times, but I remember driving past that when I was a kid. Back when it was the 17 freeway. I think it's now the 880, right? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it's in Fremont. That's a big automobile plant, and now Tesla has it. Um, there are a few other ones that I think are worthy of mentioning. Um, Biden said that he is going to, and I, don't, he, I didn't necessarily do this in the executive order, but he said that when they buy new vehicles for the federal government, they're going to buy electric vehicles rather than gas powered vehicles. And again, I'm a big electric vehicle guy. So I, I love hearing this, but assuming that it's still a good value to the taxpayer. That's, that has to be the caveat. And it's not necessarily just the total value in the price of the vehicle, but the, the lifetime value of the vehicle, because like, you know, our, our two electric vehicles are powered by solar. I don't have to spend a nickel on gasoline and maintenance costs on electric vehicles are dirt, dirt cheap. There's no engine. You don't have oil changes and transmission rebuilds and you don't have to, you know, change a radiator. Um, you don't need tune-ups. I mean, electric vehicles have virtually no maintenance. You just rotate the tires and fill up the uh, windshield wiper fluid and you go. So if Biden was, it wants to implement EVs as 
the future of federal purchases of vehicles, hey, I'm all for it as long as it's for a good value. And I, I generally like that where if the federal government wants to implement more green initiatives rather than subsidizing Tesla with more corporate welfare. And granted, they do it indirectly through a rebate program to individuals. And I took full advantage of it, you know, mea culpa. But really, Tesla and all the other EV manufacturers, they end up getting the full price, the retail value of their vehicle. Um, And the individual pays a significant portion of it, and then the government covers the rest. So even though those rebates go to the buyer, it's still indirectly corporate welfare. Um, I don't think that's a good policy. Government should not be investing in green technology. You, know, you hear that from uh, politicians. We're going to invest in the new economy, the green economy. When, when government invests in private companies, it's corporate welfare. What they should do is do what Jimmy Carter did, is, is put solar panels on the roof of the White House. Put solar panels everywhere you can in the United States uh, federal facilities and power the government that way. And let the government be a vanguard or a leader in deploying green technology. That is not only going to um, show leadership, but it's also going to help you know, bring a sense of scale to it that's going to make the products less expensive for consumers. And I think that is really important. So the fact that he wants to have EVs um, as, you know, be purchased, again, where it makes sense. I mean, there's going to be some cases where, you know, you're not going to have a, an electric vehicle um, for certain kinds of uh, transportation needs. And that makes sense. But 80% of it, this should be satisfied with EVs. Uh, Bruce McCoy says, I think GM said they will build only EV by 2035. Well, if they did, that would be consistent with the California policy of 2035, where they want to have new automobile lots not able to sell new gasoline cars, only not necessarily just EV, but you know maybe other alternative energy like hydrogen and there's a bunch of other technologies. Um, there's going to be a whole bunch of new EVs that are going to come out, particularly from Volkswagen in the next couple of years. Because when Volkswagen got stung with that um, scandal, when you know they were faking the emissions data, um, they had to pay this giant fine. And that fine uh, was like a billion dollars. It was outrageous. I mean, not outrageous. I mean, they literally were – there was fraud. So they should have paid a fine. But – um, that money that they paid is largely being used to build out the electric vehicle charging infrastructure, which is a great thing. But then at the same time, um, Volkswagen decided just to take the opportunity to pivot. And so they're going to have a lot more electric vehicles coming out very soon. So my Hyundai Kona EV, um, I lease it. I lease it through my business. And leasing generally works really well for electric vehicles since the technology changes so frequently. Uh, my lease is going to be up in April of 2022. And so I'm hopeful that some of those Volkswagen EVs will be available by then. So we'll see. Um, a couple of other ones that he implemented. This was a funny one. He said he signed one. He was going to be you have to have a mask mandate if you're on federal government Land, And he signed it one afternoon. And then that evening, he gave a speech at the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. And then even after the speech, he was up on the, you know, the top of the steps with his family and other people doing photo shoots, no mask <laughs> on federal property. He, like he violated it less than 12 hours after he signed the executive order. Um, and then I guess the last one that I want to comment on is private prisons. And I think this is an interesting topic because... Um, 
you know, right now there's you hear Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and a lot of our progressive friends on the left. Private prisons is this real big hot button. We don't like private prisons. How can you profit off of keeping people in jail? And that's just immoral. Well, he, he wants to essentially, I think, stop. What, what, I can't remember what it was, but it was the stopping of, of funding towards private prisons or at least maybe of new ones. Well, first of all, it's kind of a canard because in the fe- at least at the federal level and I think nationally, private prisons are a tiny fraction of the total number of prisons. I think it's like 10 percent. So the real problem, you know, P- granted, he's trying to spin this private prison situation as a way to resolve racial inequity and and that sort of thing. The way you resolve the racial strife and racial inequity through our criminal justice system isn't by eliminating private prisons. It's by eliminating the war on drugs that puts so many darn people in prison in the first place. So the fact that the prison suddenly now has, um, instead of a government worker, um, it's now a private uh, prison employee. And instead, a private company is making profit as opposed to the government prison workers making big money. Um, You see a lot of the prison workers, they don't even have a college education and they're making well into the six figures um, when you look at their total compensation. Um, There's profit motive in either way, whether it's private or public. Um, And even the public uh, prison system, they're no angels. I remember, I cited this before, it's about 20 years ago, there was a proposition on the California ballot to treat... um, how, how to treat ma- marijuana users. And it should, if it should be a, uh, an incarceration matter where people that are addicted to marijuana get busted, should they go to jail, to prison, or should it be treated as a health matter, an addiction matter? Well, never mind the fact that smoking marijuana should be legal in the first place and government has no business being involved at all. But if government was going to manage that, then of course it should be a health matter. Um, but you know who was lobbying to keep it an incarceration matter, to keep it a, a case where people could be locked up in cages for using marijuana? You know who it was? It was the government prison workers through their union. If you look at that little pamphlet of the propositions, again, 10 years or so ago, it was the the people in law enforcement, police unions, sheriff unions, prison worker unions, all these government workers, they were the ones that wanted to make f- marijuana use a crime that was punishable by jail time because it lines their pockets. So when people get upset about private prisons and people profiting off of people in jail, they're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is a lot of these people shouldn't be in jail in the first place. And if that were the case, then there really wouldn't be a need for private prisons in the first place because they're only stepping up because the prisons are so darn overcrowded. And they're overcrowded because the government puts too many people in jail that shouldn't be in jail in the first place. Um, Okay. Um, All right. We're we're almost at an hour. I want to share this funny story. And this is about Poway. And before I get to it, I I just want to say, if you like what you're watching and you're enjoying our our podcast, if you're audio only, or if you're watching the video on YouTube, 
it'd be really helpful if you could like the episode, um, if you can subscribe to the YouTube channel or just follow me on social media. John Riley Project is a Facebook page. You can chime in there. I have a special exclusive group called the John Riley Project Insiders Group where people can get together. It's a little more intimate discussion of the hardcore fans. You got to answer a few questions to get in, but I let everyone in except maybe that woman I had to ban (laughs) from the live stream. I think it was a woman. I think it was a female name, but never mind. It doesn't matter. Um, as long as you're a, a, a friendly and polite person and can be civil, I'd be happy to let you in that closed group. But the the regular John Riley Project Facebook page, the the larger one where I post all of our episodes, and that one's everyone can follow that. And, and certainly, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle there is John Riley Poway. And so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Poway. Um, you know, I, I live here in the city in the country, Poway, California. And, um, you know, we started this podcast in 2018 interviewing a lot of candidates for political office, candidates like Pete Neald, who's here on the live stream, uh, but candidates for Poway City Council, Poway Mayor, uh, Poway School Board. So uh, our audience, we have like a nice local audience here in, in San Diego County. And, um, and here in Poway, we have Twin Peaks, right? You're all familiar. If the people here are local, you know all about Twin Peaks. Um, it's one of our most recognized landmarks in the city. It's this hill, and it's got two peaks on it, right? And actually, I live on the north side, I guess, of Twin Peaks. It's sort of on the north side of it. Um, but Twin Peaks is a very big focal point here in the city of Poway. And it was interesting when I first moved to Poway and I heard Twin Peaks, you know, I'm I grew up in uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born in San Francisco. Um, there's a Twin Peaks in San Francisco, and I had family that lived on Twin Peaks. In fact, I still have family that live actually on the very top of Twin Peaks, um, and it's a it's a really cool area of San Francisco. I used to go there a lot as a young child. My uncle and aunt lived up there and their family. Um, so when I came down here to Poway and there was a Twin Peaks here, I thought it was kind of cool. And you know, it was like I said, it's one of our most recognized landmarks. Well. I started this podcast in 2018, and I told you I'm always trying to figure out ways to monetize this podcast and kind of come up with ways to make money doing it. And I've been experimenting with a lot of different things. And because I've had a lot of Poway guests on the podcast, because I have a lot of um, Poway content that I talk about, I said, you know what? I'm going to create a store an e-commerce store all about Poway. And it's called PowayStore.com. In fact, if you want to go there and check it out, um, PowayStore.com. And I've got like t-shirts with the, for, for Poway and, and coffee mugs. And, and here's an example of one right here. Uh, Poway, the city and the country mug. I had the logo created and I sell them on uh, PowayStore.com. And by the way, it's kind of a cool way I did it. Um, I set it up in a website in WordPress and I use the Divi theme in WordPress, which is a very popular theme from a company called Elegant Themes. And then I got WooCommerce, and that's a plugin, and I was able to plug that in. And then um, I worked with a company called Printful, Printful.com. And uh, Printful is a company that does essentially digital printing. And so you can upload a logo to Printful, and then they will um, print it on most anything you can think of, hats, um, T-shirts, sweatshirts, um, shorts, socks, um, coffee mugs, artwork, all kinds of different things. And the cool thing for an entrepreneur is when you have a lot of this merchandise created, excuse me, the old school way, 
is that you would work with a local silk screener and you'd buy like three dozen shirts and then you'd have to stock them in inventory in your garage or in your warehouse and hope you could sell them. And if you didn't sell them, you were stuck with the inventory. The cool thing with the digital printing industry is they print on demand. Actually, that's the, that's the name of the industry, print on demand. And they will print on demand. So you, an order is placed. They will manufacture the shirt for you and they will print on the shirt for you. And then they will drop ship the shirt or the mug or whatever it is directly to your customer. So it's like zero touch. It's a beautiful system. And there's a lot of people, like especially graphic artists, that have embraced this and have created their own apparel, their own product lines. And they do it all virtually. They don't have a storefront, a brick and mortar storefront. They just have an e-commerce store. They never have to maintain inventory. And they just update products. And Printful, and there's another competitor called Printify. They um, have created, um, they, they're always coming up with new things that they can imprint logos and, and T-shirt designs and different things on. So I created a store called PowwayStore.com. And it's, um, it's a cool deal. And I've had some number of customers have bought from me, and I'm like learning a little bit more about e-commerce. And um, what ended up happening is, is they... Uh, one of my customers said, you know, it'd be really great if you created a shirt that was about Twin Peaks. And I went, yeah, that's actually a good idea, you know, because there's a lot of people that, you know, there's a Twin Peaks middle school, right? So there's a lot of families that, you know, their kids go to Twin Peaks or maybe they went to Twin Peaks or maybe they live adjacent to Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks is, a, like I said, a, a major focal point in the city of Poway. And I said, OK, I'm going to make a shirt uh, about Twin Peaks. And so I made the shirt and it was a design and it's just got these two Twin Peaks and it says Poway, California on the bottom. It's like a nice looking shirt and uh, put it on the website and I've been selling some orders and it's been cool. And suddenly earlier this week, I got an email from Printful that said, um, we're sorry, but we had to remove the Twin Peaks shirt from your store because it violated our terms of use. I'm like, how in the hell is that possible? And so I went through and I was reading the terms of use and I couldn't figure it out. And then I remembered something. And this is the funny, this is another, a tangent on the tangent. Back when my son was 13 years old and we, um, he was playing travel baseball and we were going to a tournament in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So it was a bunch of you know kids. They're like all 13 years old. They're all from the San Diego County area. And you know, the kids and the parents, we all flew to Denver and then we got in a bunch of different SUVs we rented and we were driving to Steamboat Springs. But before we went over into the Rockies, we wanted to get a dinner um, and we were looking for a place to stay, a stop for dinner. And it was a little bit late and a lot of places were closed, but there was a place right there at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. It was called Twin Peaks. And we're like, cool. So this will be a, a place It's open and, and it looks like it's got a good menu and they've got some adult beverages for the, for the dads. And this is going to be great. So we go rolling into this place, Twin Peaks, you know, dads or a few moms and uh, some kids. Well, it turned out that Twin Peaks is like the Denver version of Hooters. And Twin Peaks means something very different than the Twin Peaks in Poway or the Twin Peaks in San Francisco. It had more to do with the physique of a woman. And I was like, so as parents were like mortified, like, oh, my God, we just drug our kids in 13 year old kids in here. But we all kind of had a fun laugh about it. And the staff there. It was like a Hooters staff, but they were friendly and they were respectful and it, it all went, 
you know, it was just one of those things you'll never forget. But it was funny. So anyways, I went reading the terms of service. I'm like, it said, oh, it, it bans obscene content. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is, are they thinking this T-shirt that I made is obscene? Because it shows like two Twin Peaks and it says Twin Peaks. And I one of the models in the in the store that I use is a female model, but I had a male model too, both. And I guess they thought that this was like some sort of subtle, obscene shirt. And so um, I wrote back and I said, Hey, you know, I live here in Poway and, you know, Twin Peaks is like a real deal. And I showed them a photo and a link to an article. And I said, we've got Twin Peaks middle school and a link to the school. And we have Twin Peaks road. It's a major artery through the city of Poway. And I showed them the map and all that. And then they finally conceded. And they said, you know, after reviewing your situation, we thought, it was the right thing to reinstate your your Twin Peaks uh, shirt um, on the store. And so I did. And so actually we, we sold a few of them just this week. There's a guy that is starting up a company and it's called – is it like Twin Peaks Fitness, I think? It's a, a workout. Um, I don't know if it's a gymnasium or if he's a private trainer. Um, but I noticed that on the invoice it was from – yeah, Twin Peaks. I think it was fitness. And he had bought some of the shirts. And so that's what triggered the Printful people. And so kind of a funny story. So I thought I'd share that for those of you that live here in Poway. Matthew Brannigan says, when I moved to Poway, Twin Peaks firstly reminded me of that weird David Lynch TV series. I was looking for the big lady. You know, I never watched that. When was that? That was like in the late 80s, maybe the early 90s or something like that. And I knew it was kind of, was it kind of spooky or I don't know. I, I remember that was a big deal. And a lot of people were really into that show, and I wasn't. Um, okay, so all right, we're at an hour and four minutes. I, like I said, I, I want these podcasts to be educational. And hopefully what I just shared with you, my Poway store story, um, it's really easy to start up an e-commerce store. You'd be shocked. You can set one up in a matter of a weekend. Um, and you, if you have good designers, you can create designs and create t-shirts. In fact, what I did is I um, used, a, I mentioned this in the last episode, I used a company called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, Fiverr.com. And you can hire graphic artists that work overseas and they'll do wonderful work for you and charge like 10 bucks, 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, if you have a lot of revisions, maybe 30. I mean, a, a tiny fraction of what it would cost to pay a really quality um, graphic designer here in the United States. And these artists are like in Eastern Europe. And for them, it's a lot of money. Uh, for us, it's not that much, but it's win-win, right? They're winning. They're getting paid well. And perhaps the currency conversion, maybe it turns out to be a really smoking deal for them, but it's obviously a definitely a smoking deal for us in America. So, um, yeah, actually, this logo here of Poway, the city and the country was designed by an artist on Fiverr. Um, and so and some of my artwork has been designed by a graphic artist here in the United States who um, is actually a friend of my daughter's. And so I've used that to create the store at Poway store and and I've implemented that same WooCommerce printful system on a lot of other websites, including my podcast website, johnreillyproject.com. If you go there, you can buy a John Riley Project uh, hat. You can buy a Pursue Happiness t-shirt. You can buy a, a coffee mug with the John Riley Project logo on it, if you like. So that can all be purchased there. So um, I was going to get into this whole idea of you know, generating sales leads and marketing funnels and email autoresponders because part of the educational content I want to bring to this uh, podcast, but we're already at an hour and I don't want to go any longer than that. Um, 
Matthew Brannigan said, yeah, it was weird. 1991, I think. Yeah, the Twin Peaks TV show. It, yeah, it definitely was weird. But uh, maybe that's why I never watched it. Um, that was back in my early 20s. So I probably was out uh, probably out uh, having too many adult beverages uh, rather than staying home and watching TV um, back when I was a, a youngster. But um, anyways, I just want to thank you for listening. Thanks for watching uh, this episode. What is it? 196, right? So we're closing in on 200. I'm back in the rhythm Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2. You can always count on the live stream. Of course, I'm going to post the audio-only version to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, Spotify, um, Listen Live, um, Pandora. We're now on Pandora. We're on iHeartRadio now. So all good stuff. So we're going to I'll have the audio-only version of the podcast posted soon, and you can follow us there. And, and of course, you know, get uh, check us out on social media. Uh, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. You can sign up on the email list. Love to have you on that as well. So um, it's Friday. It's 3.08 Pacific time. So uh, stay stay warm, stay dry. This rain is, I guess we got some more rain ahead of us. It doesn't seem like it's as much as they were forecasting it to be. Um, I was recently commenting how the weather people seem to be way more accurate these days than they were 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, because the technology is getting so much better. But this this storm, I think, is, I mean, I know that, Central California getting slammed. I heard that San Luis Obispo got seven inches of rain. Oh, my God. Um, and I know L.A. is getting a ton. And I saw a part of Highway 1 uh, along Big Sur is washed away. So they're getting pummeled north of us. Um, here in San Diego, sometimes those storms from Alaska kind of wimp out before they get to San Diego. Um, Pete Neal says, think convergent coils. Yes, yes. So, Pete, we are going to do that. And like I said, I got part of my graphics done on it. And this is a podcast Pete and I were talking about. Uh, it's an idea we had last year about doing a podcast of these visual um, schematics, these visual paradigms, these visual structures we have in our mind that we use to visualize systems, the way certain things work. Um, and I have... I've always had those concepts in my mind, like a flow chart in some ways, but sometimes very complex flow charts that we have a visual um, description or, or chart in our mind. And that's how we see the system operating. And so um, Pete and I, we, ne we I want to do that. And I want to do that with some screen shares. And I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, now I'm back, Pete, now I'm back in the rhythm because I took some time off to work on my business in around the holidays and most of January. Now I'm back in my rhythm, uh, coming up with my own content three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two is going to be hard. So I'm going to need to have great guests like you to join me and then we can keep the, the, the momentum going for this Monday, Wednesday, Friday rhythm. So definitely. In fact, um, I was, uh, a number of my previous guests have reached out to me recently that want to get together. One of one was Catherine Cloward, who's a musician and artist, entrepreneur. Uh, she's come out with some new music. She wants to come on the podcast. I'm going to schedule her. And then um, one of my neighbors who ran for uh, uh, judge here in San Diego County, Pete Murray, uh, reached out to me and wants to talk a little bit about the whole impeachment trial process. I think that'd be a really interesting discussion. 
not just from some podcaster like me talking about it, but from a person who is a, a former district attorney, attorney general, um, uh, you know, associate district attorney, a deputy, uh, what is it, a deputy attorney general, I think this is the term, and a candidate for judge, he'll have great legal insight into this. So I'm, I'm going to try to get him scheduled here real quick. I need to do that sooner rather than later before the actual trial starts. Uh, so definitely going to have more guests on board. Matthew Brannigan says, a guy I work with who lives close to downtown was so concerned about the hailstorm, he had to go out and move his car. It was apparently coming down like ice cube. Um, it hadn't come our way yet. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, was at the beach and took a picture of hail on the beach. And they looked like these, like they were the size of like a, it was hard to tell because he was zoomed in pretty close, but they were like little balls, almost like the um, the ammunition they use in the Revolutionary War, where they take them and they you know use the stick and put them into the the. I'm getting all my terms mixed up, but putting them into the rifles. Um, yeah, that's what it looked like. These imperfect little spheres. Um, yeah, so lots of hail, crazy stuff here for San Diego, but you know, stay warm, stay dry. So. Okay, thanks again for everyone that's sticking with us and watching this whole episode. Uh, This is the John Riley Project, episode 196. We'll be back at you Monday at 2. Take care, friends. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.